0: Hello, and welcome to The Gateway. The extent of civilian casualties from UK airstrikes in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere is kept hidden by the British government. Our guest this week, Joe Dyke, who is the lead investigator at Air Wars, is part of a team working to uncover the true cost of wars waged from the skies. I begin by asking Joe about some of the recent investigations published by The Guardian carried out by Air Wars.
1: In the war against the Islamic State, uh, the coalition has accepted uh, killing one thousand four hundred and thirty-seven civilians. That oh, now we, as an organisation, have been tracking those, and so we send the we send the allegations to them. Sometimes they're self reports, meaning that the pilots notice that they killed somebody, the drone operators, or whatever. Um, Uh, And we actually obviously think the number is far, far higher than that, but it's still a significant step for them to have accepted responsibility for those deaths um, in a way that has not been done in previous wars. Very specifically, you know, where we've actually said in this incident, we believe four people were killed. They then review the incident and say, oh, yes, we agree that four people were killed or we don't agree. And they're either deemed credible or or non-credible. Now, most of that has been the Americans. The Americans have actually, like you know, had those processes, um, and then the Australians have been pretty good. The Dutch have actually become very transparent. It took them a long time; they hid behind. So the problem, the problem generally, is that you have these coalitions that you know. So the coalition will accept killing a civilian, but nobody will tell you which member nation conducted the individual strike. But if you're a, a civilian who's uh, whose family member was killed or who was injured, it's not possible to ask the coalition for compensation. So there's a fundamental paradox there that, like, you even if the coalition accepts that, you have to know the individual member nation. So it's kind of almost a catch-22, right? So if you, if for you to try and seek uh, accountability or some kind of compensation, you know, some kind of medical support, you need to know which member nation uh, was responsible. And nations have been very happy to hide behind the anonymity of the coalition. And this is, you know, not just in this war, this is in other conflicts as well in the 2011 conflict in uh, NATO conflict in Libya, etc. So we started from that premise that over a long period we'd managed to force the Americans to admit that of these 1,437, many of them were Americans, more than a, more than 1,000. The Dutch had admitted to two events, uh, two significant events in which, uh, one uh, in which 80 people, 80 civilians were killed uh, in an attack in an IED factory, uh, exposed, uh weapons factory essentially, Um, And then the Australians had actually come and said, oh, we'd sent them the list of all the ones which the coalition had accepted as credible. They'd come along and said, that was us, that was us. And then other nations like the Brits and the French and the Belgians had done nothing for a long time. Uh, And then the Brits really... So the Brits, you know, there's almost a level of... So so the French and the Belgians, they just don't engage, right? They just... There's not really much. They don't pretend really to have these processes that it's just not a priority like and we've tried to push them on it the brits there's a level of um they're very very keen to tell you they have the best mechanisms for monitoring and evaluation of civilian harm they have the best mechanisms for uh keeping on touch of the uh, on top of these processes and and then they have you know the best mechanisms for choosing when to conduct a strike and yet at the same time They say that in all the entirety of the campaign, eight years of bombing, 4,000 munitions dropped. They accept that they've killed one civilian. Uh, And so for us, we knew that could not be true. So we started kind of two ways. One was we started uh, the New York Times uh, after a big legal case with the Americans got hold of 1,300 internal um, civilian harm assessments. Uh, which are uh, assessments of civilian harm by, uh, within, within the coalition, so how the coalition decided that those people... But some of those were incredibly detailed and included things like chat logs, so where the two drone operators were having a conversation about what they... What they and so by then spending... We spent several months matching those to documents released to us by the Brits from FOIA to the statements the Brits made at the time, to the statements the brits made afterwards matching those over a long period of time to work out eight incidents in which we're almost certain or as certain as you can be without you know um verification that the strike that the coalition said killed civilians was conducted at least in part by brits so in in many cases you know you have two two parties conduct you know Two, sometimes you'll have two member nations conducting a strike. Um, so that was, you know, one. And so we got to this point where we'd reached, um, we'd met 32, we identified 32 civilians that the co this is civilians that the coalition accepts were killed, but that it won't tell us which nation it was, that we believe are, are Brits. We sent those inf- those to the Brits more than a year ago now. Uh, no, sorry, a bit less than it, about nine months ago now. And we said, Can you review these and tell us? Uh, Can you tell us if you think these are, you know, if you can confirm? They refused to engage multiple times. Um, We tried both through the public mechanisms, through private mechanisms, through back channels, etc. None of them ever came back to us. And so uh, in the end, we decided that we would go and working with the Guardian, we went to Mosul and found these individuals and, and spoke to two families from incidents that we are almost certain were Brits and went and got their version of events. And I think that was the first part of the big investigation. And then the second part of the investigation was, okay, well, we've we've identified additional cases, but what about that original one? Because as I said, they've accepted killing one civilian. So we then tried to drill into that incident, um, and that's taken me uh, about a year um, to understand what we thought so. We were trying to identify that person to see if that person would then be eligible for you know some kind of compensation, the victim. And actually, what we found, you know, as I say, like we went looking for a victim, and actually, we found a missing airstrike. Um, there was no record in the RAF's own records. So these are the records that they released to us via Freedom of Information request of their airstrikes. That rec- that strike did not appear. Uh, the coalition reviewed the same evidence and found that there was no evidence of a coalition strike i can send you the exact wording It's slightly um found there was no evidence of a coalition strike and we spoke to i spoke to every single syrian organization that tracks civilian harm uh to try and ask them whether they had anything that matched up on that date uh and they didn't uh and so we we're basically left with this incredible situation where the uk has accepted killing one civilian in eight years of bombing uh and in the, and that civilian there is no trace of either that individual or the strike that that killed them and so that's why we're now at the stage so we had filed a FOIA freedom of inf- freedom of information request about uh, two years ago asking about the details of that strike and how they reached that decision um so we spent uh, we've we uh, the Ministry of Defence refused that FOIA, saying it was a national security issue. We then appealed that, went to the Information Commissioner, then appealed that, and now have gone all the way up to tribunal, where we're hoping that later in this year the UK uh, courts or it's a, it's a tribunal will rule that we have the right to understand how that decision was re- re- made.
0: Mm-hmm. So, just first off, you mentioned the the. Article which you did publish, that was on the 21st of March, I think, if people want to look it up, uh, with The Guardian. And the byline is is Air Wars and The Guardian,
1: I think. Yeah, Julia and Sandana are part of my team, yeah. And then Emma is the chief international correspondent for The Guardian, yeah.
0: Yeah, so people want to find that they they can do. And then um, just on sort of like the the missing airstrike, so they, to make it clear, they um, admitted killing one civilian in a strike... But then you were unable to find that a strike actually occurred, either in the records or in Mosul. You couldn't find a victim or a victim's family.
1: Yeah. So, so this was actually in Syria. This is slightly separate. This is um. So this is in a place called Ashafa, which is like about ten miles south of uh, Abu Kamal on the Iraqi-Syrian border. Um, we, but as I said, we contacted every Syrian organisation, including I spoke to some like, you know, local Facebook group in the village of Ashafa to try and understand if, um, you know, uh, they had uh, any record of a civilian dying in and around that time and there was nothing. Uh, Then the coalition, which, you know, reviewed the same evidence as the Brits, presumably, um, concluded that there was no coalition strike. Uh, And again, it's the languages... Uh, quite explicit i can find the exact you know, it says there was no coalition strike at, at the time of uh, the reported uh, civilian harm and then the brits released to us via freedom of information their um, uh, their every a list of every strike in which they claimed that a militant was killed and this should have been in it because the original statement said three militants were killed in this strike and it just wasn't there uh, as part of the foyer. So we don't necessarily know the answer. Um, and, it, you know, on, on really what we're asking for is the basic right to understand these really fundamental questions about how the UK government decides, you know, in a, in a context where the UK government says it killed 4000 militants and one civilian. How did it make those decisions? How did it decide that that person on the side of the road was a civilian, or was a militant rather than a civilian? And we really don't know anything about that process. We have a pretty good idea when it comes to the Americans, to a certain extent with the Australians, much more with the Dutch now. Uh, And the Brits are, uh, I think uh, we described them as a black box. Uh, The Ministry of Defence continues to be a black box. And for that reason, we're taking it to tribunal because we think it really matters whether we know the answer to this
0: yeah i guess i mean it might seem that it was just an attempt to what muddy the waters and sort of a bit of disinformation right
1: yeah yeah i mean we have a a bunch of theories we have a bunch of potential answers none of them really fully make sense in the sense of you know uh so i mean for context the the announcement by gavin williamson who was then the defense minister came out one day after the BBC had just reported that the, the UK knew that there were allegations of civilian harm and was ignoring them from its strikes. So, you know, there was a, a real moment of pressure. Uh, we don't know what happened in between then and um, the, uh, you know, 24 hours later when he, he gives a statement to Parliament that says, one civilian was killed we don't know anything about that we asked mr williamson he didn't respond we asked the mod they didn't give us any details so you know the the obviously the that that leads space it leaves space for like suspicion and confusion and you know that you know maybe somebody was told to uh, Come up with a a, a civilian uh, or to find some civilian harm, and then was doing it in in a very you know over a short period of time, and it was done at a rush rate, and mistakes were made. But we don't have any evidence for that, right? And and what we really need is that uh, that that is why we want to understand how this decision was made. The the Ministry of Defence released a statement to the Guardian last week, which said, uh, and I could find the exact quote, but it said. Uh, that there was a very thorough process done by uh, military officials that concluded that this individual was killed. Um, and we don't know that that's not true. We just know that there are all of these huge discrepancies between their version of events and then what seems to be the public record. And so, you know, in that in that circumstances, we think it's absolutely fair to ask the government to give us some basic answers about how they decide who they've killed, whether the person they've killed is a, a militant or a civilian, and who makes that decision. Is it actually you know, going up to the ministerial level? Is it is somebody in the MOD, or is it somebody in the RAF in the military? Uh, and, we, yeah, we've been trying for many years to answer those questions, so we've decided it's time to take them to tribunal.
0: Yeah, and how do the Americans keep their records? You said they're, they're much better than the UK.
1: Well, so so the Americans, really what happens in America is that there are politicians who really care about this. Um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, a couple of other senators, uh, Leahy, who's just uh, stepping down, uh, quite a few uh, House members who really have forced this onto the agenda. So uh, since 2018, the U.S. Congress, sorry, the U.S. Congress, Department of Defense has been forced to report or legally obliged to report to Congress the civilians that it kills, that it accepts killed every year, right? And that there's a level of transparency. And also, um, on the other side, you had Azmak Khan, who's from the New York Times, who basically single-handedly forced them to release all of these documents that allow us to understand the kind of what we call like the, the bureaucracy of death, how they actually go through that process of deciding who they've killed whether that person killed is a civilian or whatever but a lot of that's come because the american politicians uh have been willing and actually on both sides of the house the ones i named are are democrats but there are actually some republicans as well who have really really made this an issue that they care about that like if we are going to conduct warfare around the world and we have to be accountable for the mistakes that made. And that, like, you know, actually, I think if you speak to most military people, they say actually that, you know, the limiting civilian harm is really, really important for their, like, strategic goals as well, right? Uh, for the goals that the if you want to um, succeed in a particular conflict, that's, you know, you have to limit you, you can't be seen to go around killing. But if you're not learning the lessons, if you're not looking at the process of which you're killing civilians and why you're killing civilians then you you it's you're basically going through the same process again and again and again uh and really what we have struggled with in the uk is that there's just not politicians that are willing to put this as an agenda item right it's the you know they're willing to vaguely support it they might do a parliamentary question but they're not willing to get up and say you know Okay, well, we need to have accountability around the actions of the UK military. Uh, And I think that is a distinction between us and the United States where that has happened over the last, uh, really over the last 10 years. But we're in a position now where um, we understand the U.S. processes because all of this documentation has been released. We understand how it works, who makes the decision, and, you know, we, we can criticise those policies, but we also understand them properly, yeah. Um, whereas in the UK, as I said, it's a complete black box.
0: There's a kind of weird disinterest in foreign policy and war in the UK generally, I think, and in the UK press isn't there. Do you think part of it, I feel, might come down to this fact that no one knows <laughs> whether or not we're at war with a certain country or who with within that country, which groups, uh, and the way they're sort of splintered off and the coalitions which have formed. Do you think that sort of clouds accountability a little bit?
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's been a very interesting year in the sense of the same belligerents that we have been pushing for many, many years to talk about accountability are now very keen to talk about it when it comes to Russia and the, uh, um, the activities of Russia and, you know, the abuses of russia like that you know we are uh documenting those as an organization we're not an organization that only attacks you know that only like criticizes and holds uh western powers to uh, account we are we have a whole team that are documenting abuses by russia and and you know that there, there's been this very clear commitment from uh, western politicians to talk about accountability to like front to say that it's a really important matter and that we should be talking about it front and center etc in a way that like is it is hard to not see as hypocritical yeah. um, because there really is no interest in doing that when it's the actions of your own military and there are differences there are differences in the sense of the russians literally don't have any policies as far as we understand to avoid killing civilians right they don't Uh, They just, it's, there's not, there's not, they're not going through the processes, but, but at the same time, that, that, that isn't an excuse for when it goes wrong and for understanding the human impacts of your uh, activity. And so, you know, the idea that the MOD, that essentially marked its own homework, said that it has 4000 militants killed more than 4000 and one civilian is then talking about the need for accountability from the Russians. It just it, it it's quite difficult to hear sometimes because we've we've been trying for many years to engage patiently uh, with the MOD, uh, and they're just it's just not really much appetite.
0: So just how visible literally the war in Ukraine is compared to Yemen or Syria or I- Iraq. I often see uh, one British newspaper, a tabloid, always puts up on the internet. I'm sure you've seen it. The videos of. Bombs being dropped from drones and things like that, and it's always done in kind of like a celebra- celebratory way, and you know, it ends up in you know a few Russian you know kids, Russian soldiers getting killed. That seems unimaginable to happen in Syria or Yemen or Iraq. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, actually, not not to direct, it, but like actually, there was an element of that during the the war against ISIS where. The RAF would release a video of a drone strike, uh, and with no context, no explanation. You know, say we were targeting an ISIS command and control node, and then it would be put in a paper or something like that in uh, online, and you'd be like, "Well, okay, but do we know what? Do, do we know that it was successful? Do we know that it didn't hit the wrong target? Do you know all of these things?" Um, so, I, like, yeah, there's, but yeah, as you say, I think the war in Ukraine is incredibly. Um, uh front and center in terms of people's minds in a way that it having spent you know 10 years in living and working in the middle east it's been very hard to to focus people's attention in on the war in syria on the war uh you know in israel palestine on yemen you know on all of these kind of conflicts that um low-level conflicts that have kind of ticked over it's been very very difficult to to get people to to pay attention to these and and i think there is there are you know reasons that we can go into but you know there's clearly like um structural (laughs) reasons there that that um why that why this is uh uh so front and center and why other other conflicts are kind of forgotten about and yeah um i think that that's a that's a challenge for us in our organization
0: does the um the technology of Air Wars, so drones, high-altitude bombing and things, does it lead to its own specific forms of secrecy and cover-ups? And at the same time, do these types of attacks also allow gaps for investigators like you to work in, which you might not have been able to work in if it was foot soldiers, um, for example?
1: That's a really good point, yeah. I, I think... Um on a on a very practical level, an, uh, an airstrike leaves a much more significant uh, physical remnant, right? In the sense of if you if you drop a um, ammunition ammunition from the air, there will you know there will be significant damage to the ground, even if it's a relatively small, even if it's a hellfire or whatever, there will be damage uh, in a way that if, for example, you you know take somebody uh, aside and then shoot them, which is, you know, sadly, what we've seen a lot of um, Russian activity, unless somebody happens to have filmed that, the uh, evidence, there is no physical evidence apart from the body, right? Whereas in the context of an airstrike, you can clearly see there will be shrapnel, there will be remnants in the sense of uh, fragments even. there that you can try and document right um, that you can try and find that also you know the perpetrator cannot control where those land because they're they're just conducting an airstrike right they don't whereas if you know if somebody uh shoot somebody they can uh you know remove the body put the body in a different place they can take the bullet away they can you know remove all of those they can clean that you know if you conduct an airstrike yeah absolutely you you don't Control the the post uh, post impact scene, right? Because you're eighteen thousand feet. Uh, your drone is eighteen thousand feet in in the sky, so that does leave uh, a clearer picture um, for investigators like myself and for other organ. You know, uh, but it doesn't mean that you know. Uh, yeah, I think there's certainly that that is an element. It's clearer. It's easier to track individual airstrikes than it is to, uh, to track. Small arms fire, um, which uh, is something that with is difficult with, particularly with Ukraine, because there is so much small arms fire, uh, and the line between uh, also between artillery. I, we can go into sorry, I'm going to slightly nerdy world, but like the difference between an artillery strike and an airstrike is quite significant as well, right? Um, in, in terms of civilian patterns of civilian harm, etc. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and I suppose. Or well, I'm guessing that you're more, you're less likely to have um, a sort of disenfranchised soldier who's witnessed a terrible crime, I'm thinking of like melee or something like that, um, and, it, and them then going to a, to a journalist who will sort of investigate the story and write it up, um, you're less likely to have that perhaps from someone who's a couple of thousand kilometres away and is maybe alienated from their actions. In a sense. yeah
1: and uh yeah, and certainly alienated from their actions also uh you know it it if you are it, to, if you are a drone pilot from you know uh, away it, it it doesn't it isn't as clear that that is a you know even even the killing of civilians is not necessarily a, a crime right? It's, it doesn't have to it, it it there's a you go into the world of international humanitarian law and like what the limits are on all that stuff but that's not in, inherently a crime if it's not uh deliberate whereas you know taking somebody out the back uh, uh and shooting them in the head is inherently a crime right taking a prisoner out that you know and so that would like i think as a yeah as a from a human basis yeah you're more likely to have whistleblowers from that side as well um yeah uh whereas yeah i think that i think that's. fair
0: point yeah uh just as a last question uh i wanted to ask you because um you obviously do sort of i guess a lot of your investigations are done digitally and looking at archives and freedom of information requests and things but then you also do go to the sites which some of these um attacks have been carried out in mosul you mentioned um when you speak to victims and their families um do, do you discuss the fact that it's that the the attacks aren't really recorded or are recorded but not released and what what are their reaction to that
1: yeah that's a really interesting that i mean that was one of the things that we found in mosul was that you know we were tracking these down because we had the internal documents released by the new york times from the coalition right so we knew the details of these civilian harm incidents but we took them and so we had these records that in one of the cases, you literally had the two, the transcripts, parts of it are redacted, but the transcripts between two drone operators talking about, oh, oh, and I can, you know, I can tell you the, the video afterwards, but, you know, where they were trying, they were saying, oh, we've lost track of the target. Is that him? Maybe that's the person we were trying to hit. And, and then they eventually conduct the strike and they killed the wrong people, right? And all of this, in, like, really, really vivid information of an understanding of what happened and the family that were involved didn't even know it had been investigated by the coalition. They had never been reached out by anybody from the coalition, but from the Americans, from the Brits, etc. They had no idea that this document that basically portrayed them, the failures that led to the death of you know, one of their uh, of a six-year-old child. They had no idea that that process had been gone through. Uh, and it was just, it's, it's quite difficult then to have that conversation and say... You know we actually know what went wrong in the the most um the hardest moment of your life we understand the failures that led to the death of your six-year-old child right that's a very difficult uh um, thing to say and in a way you know mosul is not uh syria right you can you can get to mosul relatively easily it's relatively safe um there's no reason why militaries couldn't be doing this themselves if there was a real equi- uh, commitment to accountability etc like um it it shouldn't necessarily be the role of investigative journalists to go and and find these people and and match these documents up with the historic record right um, and yeah that, that's been that was something that was quite difficult and then also being very clear with them that, you know, we are just journalists, right? We, we're we going to take this and we're going to report it. But really what they want is some kind of accountability. And uh, we don't have the ability to offer them that. So that's always difficult. when, you know, people, I think, you come in and say, look, I have this information about what happened to your family. They feel like, OK, well, then you must also be able to explain... Um, or must be able to offer solutions that sometimes you you can't
0: mm-hmm. thank you and uh good luck with the the legal case as well as you go forward and people can <laughs> uh people can um donate right to, to air wars into the case if they they're want. very
1: welcome to on our, on our paypal they're very welcome to it's at the bottom of the, the news article yeah